the title, I'll just skip right to the title versus giving you, because, and I end up looking back at the, I look at different texts throughout the week, and then I think, well, I'll remember that, so I had to dig into the pew, because those are King James, and I wanted to see the King James version versus what I read from, but <clears throat> Telling Secrets is the title today. I'm looking at the front row. You guys got any secrets you want to tell? None, to, none that I want to tell. There may be secrets because, you know what? I think if I went down row to row, pew to pew, person to person, there are some secrets that you would not want to share. Then it wouldn't be a secret. Well, but telling secrets can be a good thing. It is sometimes, um, it takes the burden off you when you tell the secret. Like, I was standing there, this is not even in my notes, and there's always a danger of doing that. Um, Some of you may have heard one of these stories before, but twice, is Josh here? Um, Anybody that uh, has ever had a squad car or a police car um, knows that uh, if you have children, it's tempting for your children to show off your police car. And uh, as a young High schooler, pre-licensed, some of my friends, I'm a December birthday, so I didn't get my license till late in my junior, or midway through my junior year, but some of my buddies got them earlier in their sophomore year, and they would come over, and we'd hang out, and one time, Dad had a brand new squad car, and my dad was a state policeman, and he got to bring it home, and it was parked in front of the house, and they wanted to see what all it could do, so I turned on every light, every siren, the loudspeaker, I did it all. I had a great time pretending to be a policeman. Locked the car up with the keys inside <laughs> and the red light's still flashing because those don't make noise. Call my dad's uh, state trooper buddy who typically they had each other's keys in case of events such as that, not that they're kids, but in case they'd lock themselves out. He said, Sam, that's my nickname, Sam. That's a new squad. Uh, Bob, my dad, has not given me a key to that. So my buddies and I took a coat hanger and scratched a brand new squad car on the passenger side, hoping dad would never see that that's the side we got into because it was a sedan that had the bar in the middle, much harder to get a coat hanger in, but we got it in, turned it off, you know, turned off the lights, hung it up. And that's secret one. Secret two, because it feels so much better having my mom and sister here, may have not known these stories. Um, uh, I am of the generation that went in Illinois and across the nation. You know, we're in a time now when gas is more expensive than probably what you've ever seen, except when the Thomases and I were stationed in Okinawa. I think it was, this is about Okinawan prices right now, right? Uh, but in any event, when we went from 70 mile an hour to 55 miles an hour on the interstate, uh, my father was given a uh, 72 or 73 Dodge Charger with a 440 in it. And the radio was in the glove compartment. And he would drive along as fast as he, the people were driving and with a little notebook, a little spiral pad. I remember this because he was writing down the license plates and the type of cars. And usually two or three miles ahead was some other trooper pulling those people over. And he was confirmation that they were speeding. So it was somewhat entrapment, I think, you know. Because, I mean, if a car's going fast and you see him going fast, you want to go with him. Well, that car, too, was parked at home at one time, and my friends came over, and they wanted to take a ride. 
So I didn't have a license, and we took that down to the end of the cemetery. I lived by the cemetery, and then backed it up the entire way because knowing my father, he probably recorded the odometer. So uh, that one, I don't, to my knowledge, no one knows other than the Lord, and now you all know that. So the title, Telling Secrets, comes from a Frederick Beekner book. I've quoted uh, Beekner before. Uh, he is still alive. He is a uh, Presbyterian writer, theologian, who has a great way of looking at things uh, that I don't always agree with all of the things he writes, but he has a way with words, and uh, I admire that. He wrote a short book called Telling Secrets, I think about 20 years ago, and in it he tells the story of his father's death that he said was in short, never talked about because his father took his own life. And his family immediately relocated from uh, New Jersey and moved out of the area. And dad's troubles and dad's um, passing were things not discussed. And he goes on in the book telling more secrets of his family. And here's what he says. I believe it is important to tell at least from time to time the secret of who we are truly and fully are, even if we tell it only to ourselves, because otherwise we run the risk of losing track of who we truly and fully are. It's important to tell our secrets, because it makes it easier that way to see where we have been in our lives and where we are going. Would you ever have thought your pastor used to take his dad's squad car up and down the highway? It also makes it easier for other people to tell us a secret or two of their own. And that exchange has to do a lot with what a family is. Knowing, sharing, and being human together. So I'm not asking you today to confess all your secrets or sins to each other. However, I think sometimes if you share, I've been on that journey, and maybe you never knew that how much it might mean to that person you share that little secret with. Today we return to the woman at the well, Roman Catholic and Orthodox Christian tradition, call her Photina, P-H-O-T-I-N-A. We talked about her a little bit last week. She had secrets. And Jesus, up until this point in his ministry and throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, often his messianic title is kept a secret, but here in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, he shares with her the secret of who he truly is. Telling secrets brought joy and insight for Fatina and Jesus, and in this particular case, telling secrets led to faith, redemption, sin, forgiveness of sin, love, and grace. So if you have your Bibles, we're picking up with basically the second part of this interview with Fatina. I said, you know, in these early chapters of John, there are at least three different interviews, one with uh, Nicodemus, the one with Fatina, the Samaritan woman, and then later on there'll be one with a, uh, an official. First, in setting the, t the text again, those of you who remember from last week, Jesus has been with his disciples. He felt like he had to go through uh, the area of Samaria, which is a land that 
The Jews felt like if they even went through there, met somebody from Samaria, they might be ceremonially unclean for worship. It was a kind of a, an outcast land, if you will. They felt like those who lived there were half-breeds. They didn't feel like they truly understood how to believe and how to worship. And Jesus crosses many social uh, and religious barriers by speaking to her. Uh, one that he speaks to a woman, uh, one that he knows her background, and she's a Samaritan. Uh, and he asked her for water. And last week he saw that not only did he cross that uh, social barrier, he presents to her the understanding that if, if you really knew who was asking you for water, um, you would have said, give me the living water and, and that which will quench my thirst forever, my spiritual thirst. And he leaves with, with that last week in verse 14. And she says, verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Some commentators said that's a very selfish statement. You know, give me the water that thirst is always quenching my thirst. I'll never have to come back to this, water, this, this well again. And he tells her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. If you remember the video we showed you last week, uh, there were two different mountaintops that both the Samaritans and the Jews remembered as a place to worship. And so they, they uh, had a different area that they thought worship should take place. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. That's why I had to confirm. King James inserts an article, God is a spirit. That's not in the original text, and I love King James, but sometimes there are better ways to translate. God is not a spirit. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Pray with me, please. Our Father, as we look at a passage that has so much in it, it speaks to us who perhaps are worried about our pasts. It speaks to us who get confused on the multiple ways in our society to find truth and who you are. But help us to focus in on perhaps just that last verse today. For Christ Jesus is the Messiah. And it's our job as followers of his to not keep that a secret. And to share that good news with all we come into encounter with. Lead us in this worship time, this time of admiring and adoring you. And saying that all that is holy comes from you. Teach us your ways, Lord, through these texts today. For I ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 
It was no secret that the gospel of John was given to you. That's been our theme throughout uh, this year, that you might have life. That comes from John 20, verse 31, that these things have been written, that you might know Jesus, you might have life, and, and have it with him. So let's live out the gospel in our lives. Don't make it a secret. Fatina would live out the gospel she received from Jesus so boldly that church tradition says she had five sisters, two sons, and went on a missionary journey directed by the Council of Jerusalem. Now, this is coming from, I know it's, it's not scriptural, but it is church history and tradition from uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Um, she would go and spend, they, according historically, to uh, Rome. And between the uh, a time of 62 and 65 A.D., she would uh, witness even to one of the emperor's daughters and win her to the faith. And under Nero's persecution, she would die either in 64 or 65 A.D. So with a resume like that on the theme of interviews and uh, getting to know who she is. Why does she get remembered by commentators as a immoral, adulterous, sinful woman? As I said, one guy said she's selfish. I think that's human. Lord, if you got a way to get water, I don't have to walk back to this well and carry these buckets. Give it to me. I don't know if that's okay. I guess you could go that selfish, but I mean that's human. How many of you like running water in your house? You like it, right? You remember what freeze, whatever we call that thing? I was getting water from my frozen pool trying to flush toilets. That's no fun. And this lady is saying, Lord, if there's a way to get water, I want it. One commentator I read this week, or actually two different ones, uh, they said that she was ashamed of her sexual irregularities. I had to write that down, sexual irregularities. I'm thinking, I, I don't see where it mentions the word sex at all in these verses. And it says, another guy said, it's her evil deeds. Once again, I, I don't see that Jesus says anything about her evil deeds or her sexual practices. And in dur during my study of John 4, I, I realized that this Samaritan woman was probably not always as bad as commentators and preachers have made her out to be. For example, a woman in this day when Jesus lived and walked on the earth and met her, commentators will disagree, some will say it was possible. Most commentators will say a woman could not divorce a husband. So that means that five men divorced her, not Fatina divorcing them. You don't know the circumstance. You don't know if all five died. Maybe they were all different warriors at different times. We all know that in that day and age, having children was basically... That's how you carried on. That's how you took care of yourself. Anybody grew up on a farm, you probably have multiple brothers and sisters because you needed siblings to take care of the farm, right? So not that different in Jesus' day. And a, a woman that did not have children, perhaps she could not have children once the husband found that out. 
divorced her. If you remember one of our refuel series that we used last year from Michael Belk, who was a photographer, this is what he pulled out, that perhaps this woman, this beautiful woman, could not have children and got the reputation of being an immoral woman because she did not bear sons to their, her husbands. But based on the biblical text, her, her interface with Jesus that I told you last week, I loved how she pushed back at him. She's smart. She's well-informed, at least on her Samaritan faith. And she has qualities, perhaps, that might have made some men of the day. Uh, maybe they were intimidated. I don't know. But nonetheless, um, as I looked at this, there are so many ways that I think preachers have misspun it, and don't, don't hear me trying to spin it a different way. I came across uh, Carlin, Carlum Carmichael this week. And uh, he is a previous professor of law at Cornell as also uh, literature. I thought that's an interesting joint uh, professorship to be able to teach literature and law. But he wrote a book uh, called uh, The um, Sexual Practices of the Bible. I know some of you go, Cliff, he's mentioned that word three times today. <laughs> it's kept you awake, hadn't it? But he said, think of it this way. Verse 18, Jesus says, The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. He suggests that Jesus is truly using that as a reference to himself. It's like, I'm talking to you. Well, I don't want that. seems to me. I'll talk to Aaron. Like, you were the woman that had five husbands, and the man you're now with, me, is not your husband. So that, that was like another one. That I had never thought about that because men of Jesus' day would not be approaching a woman and talking to them one on one like this. So. You know, another way to think of it. Hmm. Well, regardless, Jesus is able to cut through all the secrets of Fatina's life and starts to reveal some secrets that we all can learn from. First thing, worship. Tell the secret of worship. If you're going to be telling secrets today, tell the secret of worship. Look at verses 19 through 24. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet because he was able to tell her more about herself than anybody else would have known. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, I can't be here. I've got to be down over there. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here nor there in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. In other words, he believed that he knew that they knew in part. As I told you last week, Samaritans only followed the five first five books of the Bible. They didn't uh, have the, the prophets that we would refer to, or major or minor. And he, sa he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And, and, and you've got to give it to uh, the Jewish, Jewish leaders of Jesus' day. They had the law down pat. They knew what it was. Yet a time is coming and will come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow. Samaritans, as we discussed last week, uh, were those who were left behind after the fall of the northern kingdom in 721 or 722 B.C. When Assyrians came, conquered them, took the skilled people from their land, brought slaves that they had 
conquered, and then they intermarried. So this non-Jew uh, half-breed, if you will, is who dominated that land. And not unlike people today, um, we like a good debate. Most of you do, I think, maybe, when it comes to your faith. Jesus is talking to her about faith. She says, I'm a Samaritan. I believe this way, but I think you believe this way. And uh, it's easy to get into theological issues or conversations or debates when you debate denominations. And I'm not talking like ones, fives, tens, twenties, and fifties, you know. You, you put a Presbyterian and a Baptist together, they might find some similarities, but they might find an argument sooner or later. You put a Baptist with a Methodist, you might find some arguments. You put a Baptist with a Catholic, I'm just Baptist because we just like to argue. You put a Baptist with a Catholic, you're going to find some things to say we don't, we don't agree the same way. Jesus says there's a time coming when it won't matter whether you're in this mountaintop or that mountaintop because God is spirit, not tied to a building. I would even say not tied to a denomination. Go easy, Cliff, I know. Remember 1 Peter 2? Doesn't he say something about you are being living stones? A royal priesthood? A spiritual house? We are to be instruments of his spirit in the world in which we live. Tell your secrets. We who believe must shout the message that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ has come, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's why so many Christians say, you know, well, then I don't need to go to church, right? I mean, that's the normal follow-on for most Baptists. Why, I don't need to go to church. I can worship right out there in the fishing boat. Uh, I'm sorry, wait, I'm just looking. I, I could look at, I, I, I'll look at David. I could worship on a horse. Very spiritual moment for some, especially when you fall, right? Uh, oh, Lord. Uh, I can worship on a golf course. <clears throat> I know there's a couple golfers in here. I might be looking at them, but I won't call any more names because I'm afraid they'll all start leaving today. Um, and, and most of the golfers are still working on their game are out there right now. I just want you to know. Uh, there are all kinds of ways. Oh, you know, since COVID, it just ain't safe to go to church no more. Hmm. How are you getting your groceries? Where have you been eating out? Walmart doesn't seem to be hurting, do they? So perhaps you need to read verses such as this. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider together how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day has come in the society in which we live, that we must stay together. We must work together for the purpose of Christ Jesus. Matthew 18, 20. For where there are two or three gathered into my name, there I am with them. Well, I've got two or three people in my household and we get together. Okay, that may work for that day. But don't reject the gathering of brothers and sisters in the faith. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the bodies do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We are 
much stronger when we work together. Christianity Today, uh, that uh, I get it online and I get a hard copy about every quarter. I think they try to get you to buy the hard copy. Uh, they printed an article about um, faith and, and praise being a secret weapon for those in the Ukraine. It mentioned this, and this article I think is from March. Uh, I read it. It said that uh, in the United States, New York has the largest population of U former Ukrainian citizens. They've come to New York even prior to uh, what's going on now. And this reporter had interviewed one, uh, and most of them, as I understand this, and I could probably ask some of our church members to steer me correct if I'm wrong, most Ukrainians come over out of a Baptist tradition or a Pentecostal tradition. And uh, this reporter had been in a, a Pentecostal church and, and was talking to the praise leader. And the praise leader, I quote, Our hope is in the Lord, the one who holds the things together. No matter how things fall apart, the Lord created this world and he holds things in his hand. As he played music, uh, the reporter writes, he worshipped in tears. But he also told the church family that even if a nuclear attack happens... The hope we have is that we will go home to be with the Lord, and we will be together with Jesus, the one who knows us and will help us. The secret of worship is like a weapon against the evil in our world. And I believe that weapon is so more powerful when you gather together to worship. Yes, you can worship at your home. Yes, you can have a real God moment. I know there are some country songs about, you know, fishing and being, having present with God. Yes, you can have a good experience on a horseback or on a golf course, all those kind of things. And those, to me, can be random acts. But if you don't ever come together on the day that the Lord has set aside for worship and meet with other brothers and the sisters of the faith, and hear some of their secrets and some of their journey, some of their trials, some of their errors, some of their victories, I think you will be weaker in the faith than those who gather to worship. Second, Messiah. Tell the secret of the Messiah. Away from the political and religious frenzy of Judea, Jesus comes to Samaria. If you remember these first three verses, I think, of this text here, chapter 4, uh, they were talking about who's baptizing more, and rather than get in one of those competitions, Jesus withdrew, uh, and there's where he encounters uh, Fatina. And he felt it safe to reveal who he was to her. You'll see that in that last verse of what we read today. Josephus, that Jewish historian, I think I referenced him last week, he says in, in his book called The Antiquities of the Jews that there were many, many false prophets in Jesus' day, false messiahs, and some who, supported, who were even supported by um, leaders that tried to get their agenda. So you could see why Jesus was pulling back from the political, religious stronghold or stranglehold, if you will, of Jerusalem. And there in Samaria, to someone who had no agenda, he reveals to her who he was. Now, look at this with me, please. She says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. The Samaritans had a special name, Hebrew name for a Messiah, and it's Tahib, T-A-H-E-B. 
It means one who will return, one who will restore. And they, as Fatina is referencing, they remembered Deuteronomy 18, 18, that talks about there would be one who would come, be coming who will reveal all things, who will explain all things to us. And that's what she's referencing. She goes, I, I know there's one who's coming. And then this is literally the first time that Jesus ever says who he is. Verse 18, the way NIV translates it, I who speak to you am he. In the original text, he basically is saying, I am. Show this little slide. You ever seen that or heard that before? Who else says, I am? When Moses is getting ready to do some stuff, who shall I say send me? Sends me? You, can you read it? Anybody still there? I am. So, so do you see Jesus echoing the words of the Father? I am. I am he. In fact, you can go back to the slide because they'll sit there and stare at that red you know, flame and they'll be hypnotized. Um, John has a wonderful collection of I am statements, and I'm looking forward as we get to those. I've preached through those before, but, you know, I am the way, the truth, the life, I am the bread of life, you know, all these different, I am the vine. You, you will hear all these coming out, but Jesus begins by saying, I am. He is the Messiah. Note, he says, I, I am who speaks to you, I am he. Um, Many times, we don't listen to him like he's truly the I am. Oh, yeah, Jesus is somebody I use on Sunday or when I'm in need. He wants a relationship with you that your very life thrives on the I am. I want to skip down because I know I'm getting a little more time. I'm trying to cut my... What I, I had a lot of things I wanted to share with you today, and... Um, I'm trying to get to this idea of pretending because that's another thing about a secret. Secrets allow you to pretend, right? When you were in grade school, I know for some of you that's a long time ago. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at anybody in particular. Some of you, it wasn't that long ago. Did you ever have a crush on somebody and you didn't want anybody to tell that secret? Or, or have you ever said you did something in school you know, and you really didn't do it. You kind of, kind of pretended to have done it. Anybody? Some of my kids had a real problem with homework. They would say they had done it, but they hadn't. I won't name any of the four kids: uh, Tull, Nicholas, uh, Spencer, and Emma. But, uh, but some of you know what I'm talking about. You've pretended. And I stumbled across this guy about three months ago, and he is so profane. Uh, I, would, I, I am reluctant to show you him. But those of you who have military background will probably see his zeal and fervor for what he's doing. He, and this is a news clip that I'll play for you. Uh, just go ahead and play it, Royce, if it pops up there. This is clean. You don't have to be a military veteran to be bothered by the thought of someone posing as a Navy SEAL. But when you're a retired member of that elite fighting group, aggravation can lead to motivation and spending the rest of your life outing the fakes. Uh, Fox 5 I-Team reporter Randy Travis tells us about one man who's doing just that. Randy? That's right, Russ. Unfortunately, our retired senior chief petty officer Don Shipley spent nearly 20 years as a Navy SEAL. 
Around 2008, he says he found a new calling in retirement, catching people who pretend to be a SEAL. And he says our state holds a dubious place of honor. Georgia is the number one state in this nation for imposters, SEAL imposters. Why do we rate so high or maybe so low? I really don't have any idea. All Don Shipley knows is Georgians seem to show up more than any other fakes from the thousands of tips that pour into his home office in Maryland. People like Bob McDaniel of Cobb County. May the 244th anniversary of our birthday only be the beginning here in America. McDaniel walked into the Semper Fi Bar and Grill in Woodstock last month to celebrate the Navy's birthday, wearing the uniform of a Navy Rear Admiral. But the lies don't end there. One of the challenges for me I teach some of the most elite warriors in, on the planet. McDaniel teaches self-defense classes around Metro Atlanta and also claims to be Special Forces, a member of the Army's Delta Force and a Navy SEAL. But the military told us there's no record of him being in the Navy. In fact, it shows he spent six years in the Marine Corps Reserve, never saw combat, and made it only to sergeant. You flew jets in the, in the Vietnam War? I did, I did. And you also became a Navy SEAL? I did, I did. Why are you lying about your military record, Bob? <laughs> I would never lie about my military record. Well, actually, I want to introduce you to a real SEAL. Behind you is a man named Don Shipley. He'd like to talk to you. Don? Admiral. Why do you think it's your duty to out them? They just do a terrible disservice to the uh, military. Shipley joined the Navy in 1978, eventually graduating from SEAL training in 1985. The elite unit designed to fight on sea, air, or land started during World War II. Shipley retired in 2003. Everybody knows now what a Navy SEAL is. Not a lot of them know what a fake Navy SEAL is, but they're getting that word real quick. He says after a fake Marine fooled him years ago, he decided to turn the tables. With the help of a private database of all SEAL graduates, Shipley says he and his wife Diane catch on average a dozen posers each day. He even started a you YouTube channel where he posted his phone confrontations, Royce, creating the phony there. Navy SEAL of the I week. I know you guys would probably you know, Google this and you'll be going, wow. And what, what connects with me and how my mind works, how many pose, Christian posers do we have? How, how many people know what fake Christians are because that's what they've encountered their entire life. And how many of us are like those in Georgia? You know, I wonder what state has the most Christian posers or fakes? Well, and if I could sing, I would sing, it is no secret what God can do. Um, it is no secret that the Christ has come and he has come for you and I. And no matter the baggage or the background that we carry, he wants to give you the peace that passes all understanding. So stop pretending if you are, and stop carrying the burden of your past if you are, because Jesus has no secrets with you. And like those little kids do in grade school where you have a secret crush on somebody, let me in on it, let you in on a secret. Jesus loves each one of you. No matter what you look like, where you came from, or what you've done.
Jesus loves you. Stand with me, please, we pray. Lord, as we come to a time now that if there's someone here who has been carrying the burden of their past, like a, a scarlet letter or like some sort of roadblock barricade that says, I cannot access you. Lord, help them know it, it, it shouldn't be a secret that you know all things that we've ever done. And you still love us and still long to have fellowship with us. If we'll only truly confess and say, forgive me, Lord, for where I've strayed from your path. Lord, if there's someone here today who wants to come during this invitation time, let them know that they can find the peace, they can find the restoration of their heart and of their life that nothing in the world offers other than a relationship with your son Jesus. Lord, if they want to come just and pray on the, these steps, we have people from our prayer team that will gladly pray with them. Let your spirit flow down upon us right now. For it is no secret what God can do. This I pray in Jesus' name.